right, all right. Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Let me just give a warm welcome to uh, other campus joining us right now uh, in Hendersonville and in Franklin uh, and uh, in East Asheville, obviously folks here at Arden, and just a couple of things on the 7th of, of February. All right, just coming up here in a few weeks is... Uh, the West Asheville campus will kind of begin to regather in their brand new location over there in Candler. And so those of you that are typically before COVID, you all were going to West, uh, just realize that is almost complete and we're ready to regather there. Uh, the RSVPs will start a couple of weeks before that. And then also for uh, the, the newest campus in Brevard, that will actually open on the 28th of February. So a lot of stuff going on. And let me just say before we jump in, is a great job on a couple things. Uh, just great job on things like uh, wearing your mask, great job on RSVPing, and also great job when you've RSVPed and then you figure out you can't make it to go back and take your name off so somebody else can then jump on there. So great job. That's just all that is is just putting other people before yourself. That's just fleshing out Philippians chapter 2. So well done. Let's just keep it up. This is not forever. All right. We said that we're going to have a massive mask burning and July, hopefully July of 21 and not July of 22, but in, we're going to have a mass, massive mass burning. We will rejoice, but it is not forever, but it is for now. So great job on doing that. Hey, here's the deal. Uh, and gathering, by the way, is important. It's like gas to the car, all right? You can go for a while, but it's good, whether it be online or whether it be in person. But again, thanks for doing that. And a lot of what this year is about, we introduced last week, and that is called, we're calling this year, uh, the year of the Bible, all right? The year of the Bible is not just Sundays for us to go through, starting in Genesis 1 and then ending at the end of Revelation here in about 50 weeks. Uh, but what it also is, is for to put into your hands tools so that it would, as the video said, revolutionize uh, your life. Life. There's no way that if you and I will jump into this journey that everything from your marriage to your work to your parenting to your joy will not be stronger at the end of the year than it is right now. And so what we put together is a bunch of resources and the place which you can always go all year long is buildmorechurch.com slash Bible bunch of resources there, uh, everything from the ones that are there currently to we'll be adding on throughout the year when we come up to a difficult topic and we can't totally answer it on a Sunday, things like violence in the Bible or all these different things we'll touch on on Sunday, but if like, hey, this needs more, uh, we're going to put some more resources there. The two that I've heard have been the most helpful for folks this week, and I've gotten tons of different stories, uh, is the Jesus Storybook Bible. All right, I think we gave away like a billion of these already, and uh, your campus should have some. Uh, if not, you can, we had, we ordered, I don't know how many for, to give away, but you can get these. And it's not just for kids, all right? A lot of the message text will be roughly what these are, but at the same time, I've heard more adults say that this has helped them see the big picture rather than anything else, that they have read the Bible through numerous times, but this is the one that kind of helped them see, all right, how do I separate the 66 different books, uh, you know, written over a uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years by many, many different authors. This has helped them see that all the, all the stories, all the characters are talking about one story. All the characters are about one character. And so put this in your hands. Hey, parents, this is something that is, I cannot tell you this can revolutionize your family. All right. So get in there. It's super easy. You can go on there. You can get the 52 week plan. Uh, that's for families. You can get the, you know, the next plan, and then you can get the 365-day plan. Uh, text, just text the word Bible to 28282. You can get that. You can get a whole week right ahead, all right? So 
A lot of resources there. The, the second thing besides the Jesus Storybook Bible that I've heard has been super helpful is that Dwell Listening app. All right, I know some of you all like, you got, I got to pick my voice. I picked, an, I picked an English guy or I picked an Australian woman or whatever. All right, whatever. That's between you and the Lord. Just pick somebody that speaks to you and put it on there when you're commuting. Uh, put that in there. So great job. Just take advantage of those resources. I promise you there is treasure waiting for you. When I think about our whole year together, there's a story that came out about, I don't know, six or seven years ago about a couple in Northern California. They're out walking their dog on this rural piece of property that they owned. A true story. They find a can, all right? They find this can and they figure out it's just some trash somebody left from the previous owner. They pick it up. It's super heavy. It's like a paint can. They're like, man, this thing's got lead paint or whatever. So they're going to clean up their property. They take this can back to their house, pry it open, and it's not lead paint. It is filled with historical coins dating back hundreds of years. They're like, this is amazing. I wonder if these are valuable. They valued them, and it's so valuable. Not only did they cash that in, but they also they went back and found eight more buckets of historical gold, ended up cashing them in for $10 million. All that to say, your stories, what we're hearing is, you know what? All this time, all the time, this book has been sitting there, maybe not in my backyard, but maybe in my back seat, or maybe it's in my couch, or it's been sitting there, and I've just never gotten into it, but this week is the, I mean, I got into it, and I can't believe what I found. All right, so jump in there. All right, get somebody to go along with you, all right? We gave you the plan. Get a partner to go along with you on it, and it'll be uh It'll be awesome, all right? So uh, Genesis chapter one, you would think the first two chapters of the Bible should be pretty awesome because there's no sin, all right? We don't see sin till chapter three. And in many ways, Genesis one and two is amazing. I mean, when you look at this in the big picture, Genesis just means beginning and it opens with an, an awesome fact that creation is a gift from God, everything from the bodies we inhabit to the sun that we bask in, to the pets that we enjoy, to the destinations we get to go to on a vacation, to the purpose that we have. But there's some small questions that we'll deal with that I know you're like, oh, what about this? And what about seven days? And what, what about Barney the Dinosaur? Okay, we're going to talk about that in a second, all right? But before we get there, you're going to also see the macro questions are really founded in this book. You know, who am I? All right, who made me? What is my purpose? Where am I going? Is this all there is? All those things are really answered in uh, Genesis chapter one. So let me, uh, let me read the text. I'm gonna read one to three, and then I'm gonna jump to 26 and 27. And I'll make a couple of points, but really what we'll do is we'll just kind of take it and uh, make a couple of big picture points from it. So here it is. In the beginning, in the beginning, and I'll come back to this just so you know, the phrase in the beginning is not talking, it is talking about an undetermined amount of time when there was just God, but how much time there was, we don't know how much time there was. I'll come back to that. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then you see the successive verses after that. You start to go through the days of creation. And then when you get toward the end of the chapter, here's the way it, here's the way it concludes. Then God said, let us, which is a good little Trinitarian doctrine there, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. All right, a lot of stuff in here. You're like, what about, what about? So let me, what I tried to do this week is put this in a simple format where we don't, as we don't miss the, the big picture. So here's the big picture of Genesis chapter one. And I'm gonna give you two in one sentence with two different parts. All right, point number one would be this, is that God is the point. God is the point. In this book, God is the point. We are not the point, God is the point. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So Moses writes the book of Genesis somewhere around 1400 BC to a Jewish audience. So if you remember in Bible study, you're asking, all right, what did the original author mean to the original hearers? That's your first question. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And then what does it mean to me personally? Those are like your three questions of Bible study. But Moses writes it to a Jewish audience somewhere around 1400 BC to a Jewish audience that he knew was prone to wander. They were always chasing after other idols, other things, trying to find meaning and fulfillment. And one of the things you see in Genesis 1 is he's like, listen, the God of your fathers is also the God of creation. And everything starts with him and ends with him. This has often been referred to as that Copernicus revolution that, you know what? The world does not revolve around us. The world revolves around God. And when we understand that, then everything falls into place. Now, the reason that's important is every fiber of my being, I am hardwired, as are you. We are hardwired to think that the point is about us. When we come home from a business trip and you've been gone for a while and you come dragging in, everything in you wants to sit on the easy chair, put on ESPN and say, I am the point, serve me. When you go on vacations, I remember when our boys were really small, I remember getting ticked off because I would take them on vacation and I would come back more exhausted than I was before the vacation. And I was like, what is the wrong with, what is wrong with that? I'm the one that needs refreshment. I need the ones that, and what I realized was, listen, I'm not the point. I'm never supposed to be the point. As a matter of fact, I'm not even point number two. If you understand biblical theology, God is the point. Others are like level number two and you're like the bronze medal winner, all right? You're third place. As a matter of fact, if you really wanna put it in a pyramid, God's first, your family, others, and you're like fourth. You don't even get a ribbon. You don't even get a participation trophy, all right? That's what you and I are. And so I'm not the point. So throughout the Bible, here's the way the book basically says, God creates the world. God creates the world. And then people rebel against, they rebel against God. And then God picks a 99-year-old man named Abram takes him and says, all right, you are gonna be the father of many nations. And then God picks a bunch of other undistinguishable people, guys like Daniel and David and Jeremiah and Moses and all those guys, and then God picks them and then God speaks through them. And then he picks and speaks through judges and prophets. And then the climax of the story, God sends his own son to come down here and teach us and then live the life we were supposed to live. And then in the amazing thing, 
he still loves people. The son of God then dies on a tree, gets put in the grave, rises from the grave, and then goes back to God. And so the whole book, the whole thing, the whole point is about God. And the reason that that downloads into where we live is just like Moses was trying to tell people 1400 BC, just like that, nothing is, the human heart, your human heart was designed so it only works when God is the point, when God is the center. The writer of Ecclesiastes who had a whole bunch of stuff, he said, you know what, God has put eternity into man's heart. Pascal said, you know what, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every heart that only God can fill. And just like the Israelis years and years and years ago, we try to fill it with every conceivable thing other than God. The praise of other people, affirmation, success, money, substance, boyfriend, girlfriend, even spouse, good things that become ultimate things that end up being destructive things because they were never meant to be the center. And so uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. All right, so let's land the plane for a minute. It says, in the beginning, God created. Now underline that word created in your, in your Bible. I'm gonna to try to be precise, I'm gonna to try to talk precisely, so please listen precisely. And here's what I mean, the, the, the word there for created is the word bara. B-A-R-A, bara. And it means to make something out of nothing. It doesn't mean he took something that was already in existence and then fashioned something out of it. It means he took nothing and made something from it. There's another word that Moses could have used. The other word was the idea of fashioning like what you and I do. If you're back, like back in school or anything you do, if you're an engineer, whatever you do, you take something and then you fashion something out of it. If you're in school, you might take clay and make like a rabbit or something like that. Well, that's, that's the idea of fashioning. You take something already in existence and make something from it. That's not the word he uses here. He says, because you and I never borrow anything. Everything we make, we borrow from God, at least in its initial stages. We fashion stuff, we don't make stuff. And so uh, we need to pause here uh, before we go to this point. And let me ask, there's a couple of commonly asked questions that are usually asked about this text. And if you're like, well, I don't have those questions, believe me, uh, the neighbor who you've been praying for, uh, the person at your work that you have been uh, sharing the gospel with, uh, they have these questions. And so question number one, let me just take two of them. Uh, why are there two different creation accounts? Okay, why are there two different creation accounts? Somebody might come up to you and say, hey, I noticed I was reading the Bible. You asked me to join you on this journey. And I noticed that Genesis 1 talks about creation, and then I get to Genesis 2, and it talks about creation as well. And there seems to be kind of some different points of view on the whole thing. I wouldn't call them different points of view, but here's, here's what you need to understand. Genesis 1 is like a 10,000-foot view of creation. It is like a poetical celebration of the God who made everything. It stays way up here. Chapter two lands the plane and begins to talk about the different aspects, the different details, the different things of creation. And so you're like, uh, well, what's the, why, why would he do that? You see that throughout the Bible. I'll give you one example, Exodus 14 and 15, you have the documentation of Israel escaping Pharaoh through the Red Sea, that's chapter 14, and then chapter 15, there's like a whole song celebrating what God did in 14. 
And so understand, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, they are not competing, they are complementing each other. All right, they just have a different purpose. Genesis 1 is like celebration, the who of God, and chapter 2 is a little bit more the how or the what that God did. So, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about something you just look at, not just this, but some other things with. There are some theological doctrines that you need to be able to triage. When you talk about triage with our medical workers, triage in the hospital is basically they use that where patients are sorted according to the urgency of their medical need. In other words, this is like, we, this is super important. We got to take care of it. This one will wait a little bit. You can do the same thing with doctrinal issues. So again, listen carefully, because if you email me some crazy email and said, you said this and I didn't say it, I'm, uh, anyway, just, uh, you, depends on if I'm, if I'm walking in the spirit, I'll be gracious. If I'm, if I'm not, then it'll be just Jimmy Crackhorn and I don't care. So here's the, uh, when it comes to this, there are first level, second level, and third level doctrinal issues. First level, first level are those things of extreme importance that anybody under the umbrella of Orthodox Christianity and biblical Christianity you hold to. These are things like the authority of scripture, the Trinitarian nature of God, the full deity of Jesus, the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross in our place. Those are like first tier issues. You hold them very tightly. You're uncompromising with those. Those are first tier issues. And there's a few in the creation account. Obviously the creation account, a first you have to, if you just take this at all seriously, you have to reject the claims that there is no God. You can reject the fact, well, it's just a, uh, you know, it's a purposeless accident. That is not allowed under basically first-tier Orthodox Christianity. That's first-tier. Second-tier would be things that don't define Christianity, but they are important, and sometimes there's maybe some distinctions, which, by the way, is why you see some congregations and some denominations, because they're like, okay, we're still part of the family. We're still with other people that love Jesus and follow Jesus, but we've got some distinctions here. An example might be like the mode of baptism, okay? Can you be a Christian without being baptized? Yes, you can be a Christian without being baptized, but if we feel the scripture clearly teaches this is the way it is, then you know, that's, that's, that would be a second tier thing. Listen to me, there are some third level issues in the Bible. An example might be, I'll give you one non-creation. A third level issue, like first level is Jesus is returning. That's very dominant easy to see in the Bible. But a third level issue on that subject, on eschatology is what they call that, a third level issue would be when is Jesus coming back? How is Jesus coming back? What is the order in which Jesus is coming back? That is a third level issue. In other words, you can be a believer, I can be a believer, we can actually disagree and we can even still have fellowship. We can go to the same church but still disagree about these third level issues. So when it comes to creation, Listen to me, because some of you are like, some of you are like, there are no third level issues in the Bible. Uh, there are. I just mentioned one. And, um, <laughs> all right, this is a bad time to get up and walk out, just so you know, okay, bad time. So third level issues, the things that you can disagree about and yet still have fellowship would be things like exactly how did God make the heaven and the earth? How old is the earth? 
Is he talking about literal 24-hour days? Now, here's, here's, here's what you got to understand. Liberal theology, which we are not, liberal theology would say there are no first-level issues. I mean, everything's up for grabs. It's an, it's an all-skate, nothing is first-level. That's liberal theology. That's not who we are. There are first-level issues. I mentioned some of them earlier. A legalist or the bad part of fundamentalism would say every single thing is a first-level issue. And uh, if you're like really wanting to get down to kind of brass tacks, if you will, within the family, which I would call under the orthodox Christianity, you see kind of two extremes when it comes to creation. People that we can learn from, people that we can agree, or maybe we can even disagree. So for example, on one end of the spectrum that would still be in the, hey, that's family, love them, learn from them, would be guys like Answers in Genesis and Ken Ham. They got some good stuff, all right? They got some great stuff. You might disagree with them and you can still be a believer, you can still have fellowship. On the other hand over here, you've probably got the BioLogos guys, guys like Francis Collins, those guys. There's some things I would just personally, there's a couple things I'm not real comfortable with some of the lines that Answers in Genesis draws as absolute because it's not because I don't believe the Bible, I believe every word. I just don't think the Bible draws some of the same lines. Listen, be as dogmatic as God is. When you and I get more dogmatic than God is, then we get into trouble. Listen, there's 600 plus rules. I have a hard time obeying those 600 rules. Anybody want to add to them? Not many. I'm also a little uncomfortable, by the way. There's a few things that not as much Francis Collins, who is like smarter than all of us at church today. He's like the director of the Human Genome Project. I can't even spell genome, and he's the whole head of it. He's more the biologist, loves Jesus, walks with Jesus, some of his colleagues get a little bit too far out for me, but bottom line is that is still, that's a family, that is a family discussion. So two things. Number one, you have resources that will be on billmorechurch.com Bible that you can dig in there. There's a book that we recommend. You can dig in 40 questions on creation, that kind of thing. But secondly, and almost as important would be this, is listen, study the Bible, come up to some of your own conclusions within the context and framework of the Bible but be gracious to those who are maybe still in the same family, but not exactly where you are on these things. In other words, if uh, here's, what, here's what tends to happen. And I'm just going to prophesy real quick and say, I promise you this will flesh itself out in a couple of emails this week. But it will be this. What we tend to do is somebody who might think that uh, it's like, hey, Earth is young, all that stuff. Somebody's going to go, man, you were like a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal. Open your mind. Science is this. And you're like, you're, you're dumb. And then somebody else might look at somebody over here who's got a little bit of different view still within the framework of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And they'd say, well, you're liberal and you're a heretic and you're this, that, and the other. Be gracious. Be gracious. I'm not saying be gracious toward heresy. I'm just saying be gracious within the framework. And I know some of you are like, well, I want to know where you stand. I want to know where you stand. All right, that's fine. I was like, oh, I'm not going to tell you, but I will. I'm actually what's called a, it, again, I hate the labels because sometimes those mean different things to different people, but I'm what typically is called a historic creationist. And here's what that means. So I've looked at this and studied this and I might be different in a year from now, but, and I was different 10 years ago. Here's basically where I am. As I studied every single Hebrew word of Genesis 1 and all this creation stuff, here's basically where I came from. 
I come from, in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created that there is an undetermined amount of time between Genesis one and Genesis two. Excuse me, between Genesis one, one and Genesis one, two. When it goes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. And then verse two starts. As I said earlier, how much time is in between verse one and verse two? You cannot tell simply from the scriptures. You're like, well, that's just, you don't believe the Bible. Hogwash. As a matter of fact, I would say I believe the Bible more than you. If you're like, you've got to do it this way. I'm saying the text itself does not demand. There's no place in here that says this is how all the earth is. There's no place in there. So a historic creationist would say, I don't know how much time is in between verse one and verse two. But then once you get to verse three, you have a literal 24-hour days. That's the way I would do it. So you're like, well, how, how, old do you, how old do you think it is? I don't have an idea how old it is. That might have been a minute. That might have been a million years in between verse 1 and verse 2. The text simply does not say, nor does the author. That is not his goal. And so uh, verse 3, again, you see 24-hour days as God grooms a land that was uninhabitable. Let me just summarize it by this. What Genesis 1 does take off the table as a possibility, if you take the Bible seriously, what Genesis 1 takes off the table as a possibility, which by the way, science takes it off the table as well, is that everything in the world was created through some blind random force where nobody plus nothing equals everything. That's, that's not anywhere. You can't say nothing times nobody equals everything. That's not anywhere. It's God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then it says, here's the way he did it. So what you can't argue is God's the point. You're like, well, where do we fit in? Where do I fit in? Well, here's the deal. He gives us a purpose. And he says, in our image, let's make him in our image and after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish and the creeping things and all this stuff. Let me be careful on this too. Because um, I know this is the one that goes to just our Western North Carolina campuses. And I know, I know in Western North Carolina, man, we love our animals. We love them. All right? We love them. So what you see this teaching is that man is distinct. Women, mankind are made distinct from any other category in creation. That men and women are set above the rest of the created order. This is what theologians call the Imago Dei, made in the image of God. Uh, the picture is this, back in, back in Bible times, a king or somebody would have like tons of land and he might be way far away, but what they would do is they would set up a statue or an icon or an image in that town of the king. And what it would remind those people is even though the king is far away, this is a, there is a ruling and reigning king who is over this. And what he's looking at you and I and looking at mankind and saying is this, is listen, listen, I, you are image bearers. You are image bearers of a ruling and reigning king. So let me figure out, okay, how does that apply to you? How does that apply to me? How does that apply to our church? A couple of things. Let me break it down kind of three ways. First of all, it totally can change how you actually see yourself. Okay, this is probably what some of you needed to hear today at church. Okay, you are not an accident. You are not an accident. You are not a random choice, fate, coincidence. You are not an accident. You're like, well, yeah, well, I know my parents didn't plan on me. Listen, you might have accidental parents. There are no accidental children, okay? okay? So you are not an accident. 
God made you on purpose for his purposes. You are breathing right now because in the providential hand of God, he created you. You are the race you are. You were born in the place you were born, uh, at the date you were born. And if you're a Christ follower, even your Imago Dei, the image of God, God used maybe some shame and some guilt to show you the gospel. To say, you know what? Your sin has separated you from a holy God, but God has provided a way back for you through the person and work of Jesus. Because I promise you, I promise you, your cat is not having some feelings of remorse and shame and guilt when they eat that mouse. They're just not. I mean, you know how cats, they'll play with their food. You know, that, that's just like, just kind of play with it, play with it, and you know, da da da, and boom, down the hatch it goes. No, I don't care if you love, love, love cats. That cat is not under the bed later on that afternoon. Sitting there, I can't believe I ate the mouse. I can't believe. There is no guilt. There is no shame. If a bear mauls somebody, you're not going to find that bear in the woods going, you know what? I can't believe I munched on a human. I just can't believe I did that. You're not going to find that anywhere. Okay? There, is no, there is no great white shark named Bruce that is swimming around going, fish your friends, they are not food. Fish your friends, they are not food. There is no, they're not like that. That's Disney, okay? That's, that's Walt Disney. That's not good doctrine, okay? There is nothing like that at all. Point being is, uh, and as a matter of fact, we even know this. I don't, even if you're like, I don't even believe in this Christian stuff. I'm just here because my neighbor asked me and I want to get up and go, you know this already. I mean, think about it. Let's say you've got a, let's say you've got a spouse and three kids uh, a dog and a guinea pig. That's your household. That's your household makeup. And things get really tight financially. I mean, like you got to buckle it up. You got to cut expenses. You got to figure out how we're going to save some money. <laughs> Nobody in the household's going, hey, let's get rid of mama. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that. It's not because mama's not more expensive. Mama's really expensive. The kids are really expensive. But I mean, who's the first to go? Don't say the dog. The dog is not the first to go. The dog is not the first to go. The guinea pig is the first to go. The goldfish is the first to go. I mean, how many goldfish have we flushed, really? I mean, the goldfish is the first to go. Guinea pig is next. Point being is you know nobody's coming up to you if you're sitting there eating steak is going to come up to you and just lambast, I don't think, I mean, lambast you for enjoying a steak. Why? Because you know. Just deep down, we know God has given us dominion. Doesn't mean we abuse, doesn't mean we don't take care of, doesn't mean we don't steward. Just point being is how you see yourself. And what you understand, if you're in Christ, you are now saved, you're a saint, you're reconciled, you're redeemed, you're adopted, you're gifted, you're forgiven, you're set free, you're bought with a price, you're not your own, and God gets to tell you who you are, not somebody else. So the Imago Dei is everything about how you see yourself. It's also everything about how you see others. Now, this is going to get a little tense, but just you got to understand this. Imago Dei goes through virtually every cultural issue that we have right now. The Imago Dei is how you see others. We are to image him. We are to mirror him. Now, granted, our mirror is cracked, as we'll see next week. We have a broken image. And so what happens is the, 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 mirror, the image is broken and we sin and we rebel against God. But then through the gospel, God not only redeems us, but then story by story, month by month, he's starting to fix those cracks. He's starting to paint a story out of a broken mirror. But we are still made in the image of God to mirror him. And so what do we find? We have a righteous God. God's a righteous God. So in Christ, we get positionally made righteous, but that's supposed to drive us to practical righteousness as well. Things like, why do we do, uh, 
Why do we do so much with Compassion International? We do so much with Compassion International, we want to rescue kids from poverty. Why? Because God, God rescued us, and so we want to rescue them from poverty. Okay. How come we work so much with foster care in Western North Carolina? Why? Because God brought us into his family when we did not have a family. How come we protect the unborn? How come we give to mountain area pregnancy services? Why? Because every single little baby in the womb is made in the image of God. How come we reject and despise racism? Because every single person you see has been made in the image of God. So when you talk about the Imago Dei, it's not some seminary deal. It downloads into life. All right? God's a merciful God. It means he doesn't give us what we deserve. So what do we do? We don't give people what they deserve. Somebody hurts you. And if you're a Christ follower, God's forgiven you. So we forgive those that have hurt us. God's a generous God. God gives all the time. So we want to be generous with our time, our abilities, our money. Why? Because God gave of himself. We want to, God's a missional God. God's a missional God. God came down here as a missionary. God came down here. So we want to be missionaries. We want to plant churches, not just campuses. We want to plant churches as well. That's why you go to places like Myrtle Beach and Asia and Atlanta and plant churches. Why? Because God's a missionary God. Uh, even uh, just think about just the way you treat people, the way you love people. And I just want to say kudos to y'all. This happens all the time, the way you all treat people. I know COVID's just been like nuts and we feel scattered and all that stuff. But here, listen to this uh, message I got this week. I'll shorten it real quick, but I get messages like this quite often. This one just hit so many touch points. This is a message from a, a, a young man. He said, I wanted to thank you and your church for restoring me back into ministry. I've been a student pastor for 27 years and served in North Carolina from 14 to 19. Now I serve in Scottsdale, Arizona. Most of my years in ministry have been tremendous, but my years in, and he mentions the town in North Carolina, were very painful. In October of 2018, I told my wife I was done with ministry, tired of the hurt. We started driving an hour each week to your church in Arden and spent a year attending. God spoke to me and loved me through your people including your parking team, your ushers, your greeters, your worship, your speaking teams. Countless times God spoke to me and told me he wasn't finished with me. I chose to go back into ministry and God is using me again. There is no way I am here without your church. Thank you. We never met, but we love your church. Additionally, we've brought your church's passion for foster care into the church we are now serving in Arizona. And our church has adopted numerous foster homes now because of what we saw at your church in North Carolina. And then he ends up saying this, blessing to you and your teams and your people. Keep up the great work. I found home through Christ from you and your church, and I am eternally grateful. Right? That just happens, all right? We love people. Why? Because God loves us. And let me finish with this. It's not just ourselves and others. It's actually the way you see God. R.C. Sproul put it this way. I love the way he put it. He said, people are never duly touched and, in, and impressed with a conviction of their own insignificance until it is contrasted, until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. Just a quick question, and I can ask this Franklin, Hendersonville, East. About 30 minutes ago, about 30 minutes ago, when this worship team was up here and your worship team there at Hendersonville or wherever, they were like giving it all and how great is our God and reading that awesome passage before that song. Okay, if somebody were just sitting beside you, even with a masks, 
even as a mask on, would they be able to look at you even with social distancing and go, man, that girl is fired up and her God is great. Would your little scooter, would he look over at you, dad, and say, you know what? Dad's got his faults. Dad's got his foibles. But man, dad thinks God is great. Because when we think God is great, it's going to overflow in the way that we actually worship him. I mean, when we think about a God who stepped out on the front porch and spoke 350 billion galaxies into being, you're going to worship. When you realize the detail of putting 226 different distinct muscles into the head of a caterpillar, you're going to think, man, that's a huge God and that's a God of infinite detail. When you think of a God who knew all your junk and all your sin and all your history and all your future and still set his love on you and saved you at the cost of his own son, then you and I are not going to sit here and drink a cup of coffee and act casual. You are actually going to worship. And you can just kind of go down the, the list here. And, and even if you think things are tough and, you know, things are tough for a lot of folks. But if you're a Christ follower, even if things are tough, you know how you glorify God? You glorify God by people saying, you know what? It's, it's tough for her right now. It's tough for her right now. But you know what? Because of how great and magnificent your God is, you can God is so great and so good, I can still have joy and peace, even in hellacious times. Some of you have been, got your socks blessed off the last 12 months, and you're kind of embarrassed about it because you're like, man, everybody's struggling. But I'm like the 10%. Maybe you got FedEx or Amazon or whatever, and you're like, what? business is like quadruple, baby, and it's awesome. Well, you know how you glorify God? You glorify God by not forgetting God in the blessings. You realize it wasn't luck, fate, chance, or coincidence, but God has blessed you, and so what do you do? You glorify God and say, you know what? God can even bless somebody, and they won't forget him. That's how obsessed I am about God. And so it, it does show up in your worship. I would, uh, let me just close with this because we're going to close in a different way. I know some of we're in different, this has been a great week for some of you and some of you struggle and you're like, I haven't seen any change yet. I haven't seen any change yet. And I read my Bible and, and I got into the hard to pronounce names and I just, I just, I just died on a vine. I didn't see any change. You told me last week this would be revolutionary. My joy would come back. My marriage would get stronger. My kids would look up to me. You told me that would happen. Listen, bro, I didn't tell you that happened in a week. Now think about it. Some of you are at that point. <laughs> you can look back at a time when you physically were in good shape, correct? Some of you look back at a time where you're like, man, I was ripped, 12-pack. And you're like, it's not like that anymore. You got a one-pack or maybe a six-pack or whatever you want to call it. And you're like, you know what? I'm not like that anymore. How did that happen? I mean, it's no shame. How did that happen? It didn't happen all of a sudden. You weren't ripped. And all of a sudden, you missed your workout on Tuesday. And Wednesday, you're like 30 pounds overweight. That didn't happen in a day. That happened over time. It's like I stopped running. I stopped working out. I stopped eating well. And then I'm way down the road. I'm a year down the road. And look at me. That's the way it happened. In the same way you're going to get back in physical shape, that's the way it is spiritually by trying to flex your spiritual muscles. If you're like, man, I've just, I have, I have not walked with the Lord for a year. I've not gotten into God's word seriously in months. This week might or might not have been a life changing for you. Stay at it. Get somebody to encourage you through it and things will change. The tide will turn. But right now what we want to do is I'm going to pray for us and uh, we're going to do it a little bit differently uh, Campus pastors, uh, you, uh, when I pray, 
And I say, I'm going to pray for all of us. When I say amen, worship guys at every campus. Go ahead and be making your way up there because you're going to lead us. And we're going to do it here. You're going to lead us in just a, a, two minutes maybe of how great is our God. I mean, you know, old school. We went way, we went like way back. We went back like late 90s, Chris Tomlin. We went way back. But God's still a great God. And some of us need a second chance to be able to, even through a mask, even through a mask, we're like, you know what? Even through a mask, I can worship God. Correct? So um, I'm going to pray. And at every campus, you're going to have about two minutes of strap it on, Bapticostal, let your voice go. Do not, do not leave. We're going to leave in sections, as you guys know. All right. Um, so let's, let's see how we do. Okay. There, and there's no warming up. They're going to like go into it. Boom. All right. Keep your mask on, but uh, let it rip. All right. Father, thanks for the, thanks for uh, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Thank you that we are not an accident. We were made in the image of Almighty God, and that is unbelievably humbling. God, thanks for the space you put us in. We in Western North Carolina, we ought to be the most grateful of all people in all of the world. We can go 20 minutes and look at an amazing waterfall. We can go out at night and see stars all over the place. God, help our response be what the psalmist is. It's like, you know what? The heavens declare the glory of God. And so, God, what the heavens are doing, let the people of God at Biltmore Church do in an even more vocal way this morning that our God is great and our God is good and we want people to know. But most of all, right now, we want you to know that's what's in our heart. If it's not there right now, would you make it so? God, for the people that have not actually ever trusted Christ, would today be the day just sitting in their seat saying, you know what, I want to give a yes to Jesus. I want to embrace him by faith. I want to believe. I believe that what he did on the cross somehow, some way, in some amazing way that goes beyond description, that that counted for me. And so I embrace him by faith, ask him to be my boss. God, for those of us that know Jesus as well, I pray so much that these next two minutes would be a spark that our little kids would be able to look up and just go, hey, look at mommy, look at mommy, look at mommy loving, look at mommy loving Jesus, look at daddy praising God. And what will be imprinted on their little souls is like, you know what, they serve a great God. Times are tough, but God is great. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.